Before the RouterFlex podcast episode of the day, a quick word from our sponsor and friends at Marketing 360. Try the number one marketing platform for small business. Everything you need from design to marketing to CRM. Learn more at marketing360.com. Marketing 360, fuel your brand. Um, tell me, uh, we're not live, by the way, recording, but uh, yeah, we'll just roll with it. We're, we're chatting already, so we'll just, we'll just go with it. Um, Rob, tell me, tell us about your personal life a little bit before we get into business and, and entrepreneurial stuff. Give us the just the background. Where'd Rob grow up? Maybe some family history, stuff like that. Yeah, no, thanks for asking. I uh, so I grew up here in Fort Angeles, Washington. So it's a small little community up on the Olympic Peninsula, about two hours away from Seattle. Uh, one of uh, I have uh, an older brother, older sister, and younger sister. So I'm one of four. Okay. And graduated high school here in Fort Angeles, uh, did my undergrad in Oregon at Pacific University, um, and then just started doing a lot of travel and ultra endurance sports and teaching kind of from then on. Were you um, an athlete in high school and college? I mean, were you super in shape and all that then, or you didn't start that till after, after college? I, I started getting involved with... Uh, in sports, probably pretty heavy my freshman year of high school. So I, I did three sports a year, so football, wrestling, and track. Uh, wow. So pretty active, not not outstanding in anything, like a, a decent athlete, but nothing really outstanding, um, except for wrestling. Like wrestling was kind of my main sport. Oh, uh, cool. So I did that through high school and college and wrestled a couple uh, tours internationally with Athletes in Action. Uh, so really? Freestyle and Greco, yeah. Well, did you, were you, were you a four-year uh, wrestler? I mean, a four-year uh, on the team in college as a wrestler? Yeah, I wrestled two years and then um, had a shoulder injury going into my junior year. So I coached uh, at the middle school the last couple of years. Okay. Okay. Wow, man. Hey, that's my boys were wrestlers. So I'm very familiar. Uh. Both, both my boys were <laughs> state, state placers in high school. So we were a wrestling family. So I get it. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of dedication goes into that sport for people that don't know. Yeah. No, I, I found that um, it was kind of one of those jokes, like after wrestling, everything's everything else is easy. And I, <laughs> I right. feel like the the discipline and the, um, you know, kind of stick to it to itness and consistency that you learn from wrestling and having to perform when you're exhausted and tired, um, you know, just sticks with you for the rest of your life and whatever you take on. No doubt about it. My boys always used to tell me football football practice was easy compared to wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, were you going to be a teacher? Was that the plan originally? I mean, I looked at, you know, your degree and so forth and kind of was studying your history. Were you thinking you were going to teach or what was your plan? Yeah, my, my family background is, uh, you know, a lot of family members in teaching and then entrepreneurship. Ah, uh, so my okay. plan was to go into teaching. I, I wanted to do that for three to five years, and then go into administration. Uh, I so I got my master's in teaching in 2009. Um, and was planning on teaching business and uh, marketing at the high school level. And I then, you know, and then right when everything kind of collapsed, all the business uh, in the 2008 recession, like the business teacher position just got dried up. So there just wasn't any openings. And that's when mm. I went back for my MBA and my leadership degree. Mm. Mm. Okay. So you changed, you changed direction a little bit. Were you going to be a teacher slash wrestling coach? Probably. Yes, that's probably what would have happened, huh? Yeah. Yep. Like the idea of teacher slash wrestling coach. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so when you went back to get your master's degree, did you have a plan then? Did you know what you wanted to do professionally? Um, I'd still kind of had the, the idea of teaching at the high school slash college level. Um, I, I'd always wanted to be an entrepreneur. And okay. I remember thinking, um, you know, if I ever got my MBA, I'd kind of screwed up in life. 
because you don't need an MBA to be a business leader. And so mm-hmm. I, I remember after like going back and getting my MBA, it was, it was a little bittersweet um, because it was kind of pushing off that dream of being an entrepreneur in my 20s um, and not knowing if I'd come back to it. Mm-hmm. And, and then I, I got an opportunity to teach through the local college here, Peninsula College. Uh, so we, you know, I taught a business entrepreneurship program. And so after doing that for a couple of years, uh, that kind of got me you know, in the teaching field and thinking about entrepreneurship. And then okay. when I got married in 2014 and moved to LA, that was when I started my first like big company uh, where we actually kind of went all in and moved forward. Okay. So let me ask you this entrepreneur wise, was your dad, did he own his own company or you had who, who in the family was a business owner? Yeah. So my, my dad owned a pizza restaurant in town. Uh, so pizza tavern. So he had, you know, a bunch, you know, I grew up, they had like uh, pinball machines and a jukebox and, they sold a fair amount cool. of food and, and alcohol. So yeah, so I, I grew up in cool. that from, you know, up until I was about eight years old, uh, you know, down at the family restaurant. He sold it? Yeah, yeah, he sold it when I was about, I think I was eight years old and then moved um, over to Eastern Washington. Oh, okay, okay, all right. What did he do after that? Was he a business owner after that or he went to work for somebody else? Yeah, he went to work for somebody else. So mm. yeah, he kind of, he got into a lot of different kind of odd jobs, was doing long haul trucking for a while. And then uh, he ended up retiring the last 10 years of his life down in Mexico. So down in Ensenada. So I, I used to head down a couple times a year and spend a week with him just on the beach. So yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh, very, oh, very cool. Okay. That's not bad. Right. Mm. Okay. All right. Um, so you moved to LA now, did you move to LA uh, because you got, you got married? Was it, was your wife's family from there? Why, why did you move? Yeah. So I, I met my wife on, um, I met my wife on eHarmony. I think that was in cool. 2010. Uh-huh. And then, uh, was, yeah. So I was kind of just chasing after her for about two, three years doing the long distance thing. Mm. Um, I, I had talked for a year up here in Washington and then I, I moved down to LA so we could be in the same city to date. Um, and then ended up struggling, finding a job, uh, did personal training for a year in Santa Barbara, had a great okay. experience, but you don't make a lot of money. And then I, I got offered a teaching gig again for one year. So I, I got engaged, came back, taught for a year. And then when I went back down, that's when we started our business in LA. Um, and my, my wife is from Fortuna, so up in the Redwoods. Um, but she had moved to LA because uh, she got a job at uh, Tom's Shoes. So she was the global givings account uh, kind of on the, the giving team at Tom's. Uh, so okay. she did that for, I think, like seven years. Okay. Um, and she I, did that. I, she did that for seven years before you guys started the business. Before this, before you started the business. So she was doing that when I first uh, when we were dating. So she got that job when we started dating, and then we got married. And uh, she did that for about four years while we were married. Um, okay. And then she transitioned out. She's a Marie Kondo consultant, so she runs her own business, uh, Modern Refresh. Uh, so does in-house personal organizing. It's this Japanese style kind of minimalist. Uh, ah. Ah, okay. Okay. And then how did you guys decide to start a, start a business? Like walk me through that. Yeah. Um, so when I, when I was looking at moving to Los Angeles, my, my wife's best friend, Marilyn, uh, her husband worked in the Hollywood. Uh, so he did a lot of movie trailers. Uh, so if you think of really high-end animation, like on Marvel graphics or others, you know, editing that footage together, doing some of the special effects. Um, and he wanted to use that technology, uh, for science engineering, um, you know, medical stuff. It's like, he's like, how can we use that really high-end graphics to highlight things that, that have value and, and make a difference in the world? 
so we were, you know, I went down there, we would, we would go out hiking and just kind of talk about it. And I, I talk about like, I'm teaching business and entrepreneurship, um, you know, and I had this background and he had the skill set. and he's like, what if we went in and started a business together? Um, so I ended up starting the business with, uh, Nick Learham. Uh, so he was my, my wife's best friend's husband. And so we okay. were the two co-founders of Lux Virtual. I see. How'd you, and how'd you decide on the name, by the way? Uh, we, we went through a lot of different iterations and then, um, he was, he was trying to look for something with, with kind of power and meaning. And he liked Lux because of the, you know, kind of premium there's, uh, you know, that, um, you know, prestige that goes with it. And then, uh, Lux virtual is like illuminating, which mm-hmm. when you're doing animation, when you're doing renders, you're, you're shining light. Uh, so mm-hmm. it's that, uh, Lux, which is a, another word for, um, light, and I think Latin as he was looking at it. And so it's like, it's that light, that reflection that brings out the, um, the actual scene and the animation. So he, he loved that connection with, um, you know, the, uh, just the image of Lux and also the light refra- reflecting. And, uh, and then virtual, uh, my business partner, Nick, really liked the idea of going into using that, um, the animations we're doing and, and pulling those into the virtual reality and augmented reality. So that was kind of the direction we were going is building out these, you know, these explainer videos and then shifting that into the virtual reality world as we built as a company. Yeah, give us the, give us the three minute overview uh, for the listeners, uh, Lux Virtual. Just give us the, give us the pitch, give us the elevator pitch. And by the way, for the listeners, it's luxvirtual.com, L-U-X, luxvirtual.com. Give us the, give us the three minute elevator pitch, Rob, go yeah. for it. So I, I love to kind of tell people the story. It's, um, you know, cause we, we started as an animation studio and then we shifted into a video production animation. And then we got into involved in virtual reality, augmented reality, and then kind of moving into a full service marketing agency. Um, but our focus has always been the same. It's um, building relationships and telling complex stories and illuminating brilliant ideas. And it's that, you know, the, the, the thing that we do is solving that problem where a creative or a business owner has this idea and they have a hard time getting it across and they end up saying that same story over and over and over trying to get around it from different angles. Uh, So what animated explainer videos do or what really high quality creative visuals do is they tell that story in a very succinct form, um, oftentimes in 15 seconds to 45 seconds. Uh, So for us, um, my role with Lux Virtual and what we do is basically building relationships to tell stories that move people um, either towards capturing an, an audience or towards capturing a funding funding round. Uh, so a lot of our clients are, um, you know, companies that are already have their first round of funding and they're going after their second round of funding. Uh, so we help tell their story and kind of uh, pull together their their visuals and um, and their whole like uh, mm-hmm. brand identity uh, so mm-hmm. that they they can communicate that to to their audience. What is your role in the company uh, between you and your co-founder? Are you on the Are you on the biz dev side, or what? What's your side of it? What's your How do you How do you guys split up the the main responsibilities? Yeah, so I, I always tell people I'm a I do all the business development. So my role is just to talk to people. Like I, I spend a ton of time before okay. COVID uh, doing coffees and lunches, and um right, and it's right. it's just kind of talking to people and hearing their problems, and then mm-hmm. kind of listening to them and, and being like, oh, I you know, they have these monkeys on their back and then you're basically taking that monkey and you have a good solution. And then they give you a pot of money and you have the solution to fix it. And I always tell them like, Hey, I'm going to make sure that it makes you look good either in front of your manager or in front of your investors or in front of your board. And so it's like, how do we solve this problem for you through this creative channel? Uh, so I do a lot of business. So my, my main role is business development, uh, both on the client side and pulling together the, the teams. 
Uh, so okay. building out those relationships with, uh, with the freelancers and with different companies we partner with. Um, and okay. then just making sure that we deliver, you know, on time, on scope and, um, you know, and kind of over deliver on budget. And, you know, so just, yeah. When you say full service marketing agency now, can you guys do everything in house or are there certain things that you, you know, subcontract out or how do you do that? Yeah, it's, so it's, it's an interesting approach. I, um, you know, I've spent so much of my time, uh, you know, I, I have a background in ultra endurance sports and I, I love the idea of essentialism or minimalism. And it's basically, how do we, how do we get that MVP, that minimal viable product, or how do I train as little as possible to excel at some of the hardest races in the world? And I take that same approach to business. And it's like, how can I put together teams as efficiently as possible so that we can have high impact um, without this massive over, um, overarching mm. structure. Uh, mm. So the way I do it in business, I, I call them strike teams. Um, so I'll, I'll start to talk with the, the client, you kind of figure out what their need is. And, you know, it's like if they need a website redesign, if they need a logo, if they need an animated video, um, if they need blogs, if they need, you know, whatever that kind of content is. And once you kind of listen through their problems and then you, um, you suggest certain things like, it's like, hey, have you guys thought about this route? And just making sure that they've thought through the, um, you know, the whole scenario. And then I'll pull together a team with those skill sets. And usually in that field, like if it's energy or technology or medical, um, you, know, you want to make sure that your, your creative team aligns with it as much as possible. Um, and then I just kind of pull together the, the ad hoc team. We, you know, and then I'll put a creative director and a strategist, and then we'll just kind of move forward on it. Okay. Did you guys bootstrap the company? Just you and him together, I guess. Uh, yeah, we cash flowed it. Uh, okay. And you right. grow at the speed of cash. So it's uh yeah, we'd go after projects and as soon as we got them in, we'd update our equipment and yeah. Okay. No, you didn't take on any cash and you haven't taken on any cash to this point. No, yeah, we haven't taken any debt or uh any venture funds. Congratulations. And you've been in operation for how many years? Seven? Seven years, yeah. How many employees? No. Uh, well, I actually bought my business partner out three years ago. So it's just me. Oh. And then I work with about 30 freelancers. Um, I see. Yeah. Okay. So, so right now I probably have 15 people working on different projects. Why did you, what happened to your partner? Did he, he just decided he wanted out or he's like, Hey, I'm done with this. I got, he's doing something else. What happened? Yeah, we were, uh, so we were about three, four years into it and, um, you know, we're slowly getting more and more money, but, uh, we were at the point where he was making about half of what he could in industry yep. and he yep. was just about to have his first, uh, first kid. Mm -hmm. Um, and also as we were expanding, he loved being a part of like the creative process and the whole thing. And, and as we were expanding, we were going into areas that he didn't have expertise, like some of the video production. And so we were pulling in a lot of freelancers and other companies and passing on projects to the clients that he didn't really have his hand in. And that process of not having creative control of it was, there was that. So there was the creative control aspect. There was the, you know, it was taking us a while to get up to making what we, sh um, what we would normally do if we had jobs. And then with the first kid, it was, it was just a combination of things where, you know, it didn't make sense for him to stay in it for that um, at that point. And and the nice thing is I've been able to keep in touch with him over the years. So he's, he's one of my mentors. When a lot of projects come up, I'll, he's one of the interesting projects. He's one of the first ones I shoot it off to and, um, you know, kind of bounce ideas around with. And my, my okay. wife actually left this morning to go visit him and his wife in uh, San Francisco. Ah, okay. Yeah. Okay. Very, very good. All right. You know, you brought up an interesting uh, topic there that I want to touch on real quick for the listeners. You know, if you're starting a business that is not 
funded right away. Let's see, you know, you know, there's no VC money. There's no PE money. There's no angel money. You're just, you're, you know, you're bootstrapping it yourself, especially if it's a service business. Um, the, the, the chances of you making a salary that matches what you could make in the open market is very slim, right? Not if you, you're not going to do that at first. I mean, there will be, you, you should expect to, to make, you know, a much smaller salary at first. I mean, it was the same for us at Riderflex uh, the first few years as a recruiting company. I mean, you know, myself and my co-founder, same thing, right? We were, we were making probably, I don't know, 30% of what we could have made on the open market in a regular job, right? And then you just slowly increase that over time. So if you're an entrepreneur and you're listening to this episode, be ready for that. Plan on it. You are not probably you're probably not going to make what you could make in the open market in a regular job, but you got to be willing to sacrifice that. And and if you can just push through two, three, four years, you will eventually find yourself making what you were making before, and then you're going to own your own business as well. Uh, so, but but there is some sacrifice there, and I'm I'm, I'm glad you you mentioned that because it's that's going to be the case for most people unless they get funded right away. Yeah. Well, if you don't mind, I'd, I can kind of walk you through the, the story over the, you know, take about 10 minutes, but it's... Go for it. Okay. Go for it. Um, yeah. It's, so it was fascinating going from teaching business and entrepreneurship, like at the college level, and then stepping into it where it's like, you're, you're actually in the thick of it. And so I, I understand all the numbers. I know the timelines and how long things um, take. And, you know, I'm pretty good with a lot of the analytical skills. But the, the biggest shock to me was actually the emotions of being an entrepreneur. Because um, yes. teaching entrepreneurs, steady, stable, you know, you got that paycheck every two weeks, you're on health benefits. So all of a sudden it's like, you're trying to figure out licenses and you're trying to figure out which entity to structure it under. You're doing a lot of, um, you know, you're mm -hmm. trying to figure like, oh, I have to do an NDA and I have to do partnership agreements and I have to do work for hire. So you're figuring out all these forms and, and then you're like, how do I find customers? And I remember a, a couple of our first pitches were just like, I was, I was educating our clients. I was just like talking about, this is what we can do and this is where we're at. And, um, and for me, thankfully, um, you know, one of my gifts is I'm a connector. So I just, I love talking and sharing with people. Uh, so when I moved to the city, I just followed my game plan that I used to teach the students. And I was like, this is what I taught. I, I've never done it, but I, I'm just assuming it'll work. Um, so I, you know, I joined the chamber of commerce. I joined the rotary club. Uh, so you join a service club that's in line with your values. Um, I joined a Toastmasters because I wanted to get better at public speaking. And the thing about Toastmasters is it it allows you to communicate things the way that you want to communicate it and just to be clear and straightforward and direct with people. And that was a, one of my struggles because I tend to just talk in circles a lot more than I do now. Um, <laughs> but, you know, going through that process and, and then you just have to kind of hit the bricks like you're out there on the, um, you know, you go yes. into meetings, you're going to networking yes. events. I, yep. um, I found other connectors and mentors and I just like, you know, if you were in my spot, what would you do? And then I just followed their advice. Um, mm -hmm. So I, you know, I found like uh, Christina Davis, who's the president of the LAX chamber. And then my rotary president at the time, uh, Glenn Vuchis. Uh, they would kind of tell me where to go and I would just kind of follow what they did. So they were like, you know, go to the government meeting. So I, I went and visited like the, the airport and Metro and the water mm -hmm. district. I would mm -hmm. go to any of those meetings. I started going to meetings at Rand, um, you know, and, and then any, anything you get invited to. And, and the first year you just go to everything and then you figure out like, what are the right. ones that have value? And then right. you kind of <laughs> cut out about 80% of it. Right. Um, and then you just kind of lean into it. Um, and pretty soon you get a breakthrough. So we, we had our first breakthrough client was a, 
we had a couple of technologies out of UCLA where we did some graphics and then wow. we worked with the Nanosystems Institute the, um, uh, up there. So we, you know, we kind of had this prestige, prestigious name behind one of the projects we did. Cool. And then um, I ended up getting on the video production bench with Metro. So we had our first government contract and uh, the first video series we did went, ended up going viral. It got talked about on the Today Show. So then we had something to talk about. It was a safety right. video. Um, yeah. And so once yeah. you kind of have that, you just build momentum and then you just find you have these little wins and then you just share with the people you've been networking with. Yes. And it really takes a good three years before we, we finally hit a stride where mm -hmm. we're even making enough money to, to kind of talk about. Mm-hmm. Uh, didn't you do something with uh, McGillivray? Uh, do you know Sean McGillivray? Yeah, yeah, so McGillivray Freeman. Um, yeah, so yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we started working with his dad, uh, Greg McGillivray. So we did, uh, we've done like three projects with him right, uh, so far. So we worked on Dream Big. Uh, we did the um, Hyperloop sequence. So mm -hmm. we, uh, I was working with David Israel at uh, Hyperloop. So we did the model for their, um, when they did the port test. So we talked about like what the, the shuttle would look like and then what it would morph into over the years. Mm -hmm. uh, and then McGillivray Freeman saw that and wanted to add it into their video. So that's how we first got, a, got connected with them. And then wow. we did a couple of videos for their American, was it American music or American history? Um, nice. Concept nice. Videos yeah. Nice. He he was on the he was on the podcast on the right. Oh, podcast. awesome! Yeah, 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 he was a guest. I saw that you were you were connected there. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, you're right. You know, you're right. You you got to get into a stride. Great tip, by the way. Um, you know, as as it relates to networking and going to events and meetings. Yeah, you can you can let that get overwhelming, and it can you know it can drain a lot of your time. You do have to eventually kind of cherry pick the ones that really have value. Great point. Yeah. Great great tip. Great tip for and, listeners. And one thing that you know about the networking is there's so many of them that they seem like they don't have value, and you just sit there and you're you're there for like two three hours. Like a lot of the government yeah. events, you'll sit there and it's like it's it's mind numbing. You're like, when does stuff happen, and how does <laughs> how do you break into this? But I, I think of my biggest clients, so Metro, the Water District, um, and then uh, Gareth Evans, uh, uh, Gareth Evans over at Vecta, and I for the Water District, we did two um, virtual reality tours. Like those are our biggest VR um, projects, and I ended up getting into those projects because I I met this lady um, Peggy Vote, and uh, I went in early to it and kind of talked to everybody, and then me yep. and my business partner stayed afterwards, and there was like five people. And that's where I ran into Peggy and I started talking to her and telling her like, this is what we're doing. This is what we want it to morph into. And she was like, I want to, I want to talk to you guys more. And so she invited us out to lunch. I found out later she was on the innovation committee uh, at MWD, uh, Metropolitan Water District. So she was able to pull us in and, and that's how that kind of started that relationship and met the rest of, of her team. And so it was like, it, things happen like that when you stay after or when you show up early. Yes. Um, yes. And the same thing with Gareth, we're, we're sitting there at some just random water event or power event. And uh, afterwards, like we're just sitting there having beers because there wasn't really a whole lot going on and talking mm -hmm. about ultra sports. And at the time, Gareth's like, hey, I'm, you know, I'm a part of this company over here. We can't really use what you're doing, but let's keep in touch. And so I just kept in touch with him about every six months. And, you know, three years later, all of a sudden he's in a CEO role and he's there like, hey, we go. need help with this project. And it's just building those relationships early and staying in touch with them. And that's what, you know, a lot of these projects where they come out of is that those trust relationships and those connections. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Couldn't agree more. By the way, another great tip there, show up early for these things. 
always show up early because there's a little side conversation that can happen before it gets started and then mm -hmm. stay after, uh, you know, stay after. And I mean, that's where you, that's where you, that's where you meet people, right. Yeah. Uh, is showing up early and staying after for those events, you know, uh, my partner and I, as we built Rider Flex, you know, we uh, we would go to those. He's he's Scott, my co-founder. He's the biz dev side of it, and he so he does a great job of he does what you do. Like he can work he can work those rooms and and meet people, and uh, he'll drag me along, and I'll just I'll always say, oh my god, I hate going to these things, but they usually pay off. <laughs> you know, networking is networking is critical, absolutely critical. Yeah. One, one thing as a, oh, as a business leader, I've found, you know, you, I know how long it takes to grow your skill set and grow out your businesses on average. And I'm like, how can you shortcut that? Like, what are those little cheats? And um, one of the things I've found is um, when you first start, like seek out mentors that are five years, 10 years, 20 years further than you in those careers and start engaging with them. And so I, I started kind of finding people like, man, I wish I wanted to be like, there's certain aspects to their lives that I want to be like. And I'd reach out to him. I was like, hey, can I take you out for dinner or for, for lunch or for coffee? Mm. And, um, and I started doing that. And I kind of built this pool of mentors around. And then I would do, I would take those same people out about every six months and when, or anytime I was going through a major transition. And, you know, if you do that for three or four years, like they know your story, they know the struggles you're going through. And I could always ask them those questions like, here's this next leap I'm looking at taking. Um, what do you see that I don't see? And if you were in my shoes, what decisions would you make? Because uh, a lot of times we know what we know, but we don't know. Uh, I don't know what I don't know. And so you're making these decisions fairly blind and mm -hmm. having those mentors that have five, 10, 20 years of experience, they can give you insight that we just don't have. And it, it saves you a lot of heartache and headache through the process. Mm -hmm. Yep. Could agree more. If you had to, you know, summarize two or three uh you know, pieces of advice for aspiring entrepreneurs, somebody listening to this episode, ready to start their own business. Let's say it's a, let's say it's a service related business. We can tie it into what you, what you do. They want to, they want to quit their job. They want to, you know, open up a marketing agency or whatever. They want to, you know, start their own plumbing business or recruiting firm, whatever it is. What, what are two or three things uh, that you want to highlight for that listener right now? Um. Yeah, I think one of the biggest things I, I tell people over and over is just um, the, the grit of it and just how hard it is. Like it's, it's kind of like going in, it's like, you know, I, I want you to be aware of what you're getting into. And, and it's not so much the technical details and what you need to do. It's the, it's the emotions of it. And mm -hmm. it's, it's like you're signing yourself up for, you know, if you want this to work well, it's probably a five to 10 year journey before you yes. get to where you want to go. And you just have to be consistent and you have to kind of pour into it. And you have to be resilient with so many of the um, roadblocks along the way. Um, you know, one of the things I always like to say is like, you know, especially if you're pitching to clients, you know, a lot of times you, you end up landing about 20% if you're top at what you're doing. So if, I, if I'm talking to people like, you know, if I talk to 20 people, I might land three to four projects. And so mm -hmm. that's it. You know, and I'm, I can, you know, I've had other people say like, man, you're really good at what you do. And I was like, I'm failing 80% of the time. So I get told <laughs> no so many times I get things moving in the pipeline and all of a sudden they shift directions. And, and so it's like, oh yeah, like this is what success looks, looks like. It's a lot of iterations and, you know, and, and missteps along the way and people kind of shifting mid process and, um, you know, and then, and then being adaptable to that and being able to pull yourself up as quick as you can and move forward um, and giving yourself grace sometimes when you don't. So I, I think, a lot of it is the, 
being consistent even when you don't feel good and being consistent through the highs and lows, thinking outside the box, um, building out your network so you have people to talk to when you don't know where to turn. Yes. Um, you know, so a lot of those kind of components to it. It is super emotional, super emotional, you know, not to scare people, but you will have, you know, some, some anxiety. You are going to wake up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat, walking around at 3am in your living room saying, what the hell did I do? Why did I quit my job? Oh my God. I mean, you're going to have all that, right? I mean, you're, you're likely you are going to have all that unless you had a big pile of cash when you started or you got, you know, funded, you're going to have all those moments. Uh, I had a guy tell me one time, he said, you know, you're never, you're never a true entrepreneur until you spend a few weeks waking up every day, looking outside to see if your car's still there and wondering if it got repossessed. <laughs> uh, you know, so yeah, super emotional, like you said, uh, totally, totally agree. What's the plan for, for, for Lux, you know, long term? I mean, are you going to, you, you want to, do you want to grow it into a big firm? Do you want to sell it? Do you want to merge? Do you want to be acquired? Do you just, do you, are you happy with it being a lifestyle business for your family? What's the plan? Yeah, no, that's, and that's a great question. And um, it's, it's interesting. Like when, when I first started with Nick, we kind of wrote out the business plan and kind of where we saw it then in like three years, five years, 10 years down the road. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the models I was looking at is uh, Arup. It's an engineering company. And I, I'd always kind of liked the idea, um, you know, from there, was, our model would be a lot um, different, but similar kind of components where I like the idea of building out studios with like three to five, up to eight member teams and having okay. places all over the world. So you'd have, ah, you start right. in LA and then Seattle, Denver, somewhere over on the East Coast. Um, and you cater each of the studios towards a particular event. So one might be focused more on, um, you know, web design, one might be more on animation. And so you can kind of tap into different places. So, so right now that's, if like, if, if I was given say like two to $5 million of in investment money, that's mm -hmm. probably the jump I would take is pulling okay. together that core team of three to five and going aggressively after some, you know, some different projects and then looking at building up different satellite locations. I, one of the reasons I like that model versus building out a big company is mm -hmm. I've, I've watched some of my mentors that, you know, they built out these huge agencies and then they'll lose one or two of their main clients and then they're yeah. yep. stuck yep. in half their lease and they have to let yep. go of half their staff. And it's yep. like, you know, you just watch these heartaches where you're like, man, they're, they're just crushing it. And then three months later, you're like, oh man, like that was a bad decision. And, uh, <laughs> and it, it wasn't a bad decision. It was just the way that the economy or the, yeah, I'm, the the way the cards fell, it just didn't turn out well. And, and so, yeah. 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 If you're, if you're a service business like that, I mean, by, you know, by definition, we are kind of consultants, right? I hate that word, but really even as a, as a recruiting firm, as a marketing agency or whatever, as a, as a, as a lawyer, as a, as a, as a plumber, I mean, you're, you're, you're not going to have most of the time, you're not going to have recurring revenue, from a client forever, right? The client, the clients are using us, or they're using our services for a project or for a period of time because mm -hmm. they have an issue or whatever. And so there all there is a there is always a risk like that for for firms like yours and and like mine to where, yeah, you had a great client. I mean, we've done that many times at Riderflex. We help them. We'll we'll, we'll put in a hundred people into their business, including five or six HR people that end up doing recruiting for them internally. And then we don't have that client anymore. I mean, it's just, that's the nature of the beast, right? That's, yeah. that's, that's part of it. <laughs> 
No, and uh, but I, I don't know. Recently, it's you know because things changed so much this last year and a half with COVID. Um, so it was interesting to watch how our team morphed and and transitioned. Because um, one of the things I've, I look at doing is I, I build out these partnerships with clients and with creatives, and I'm always looking for creatives with like next level talent. And then when you find them, you just, you know, you, you get to know them. And, and it's one of those, like, you know, if I, my four, four uh, kind of traits I look for is like, do I like them? Do I trust them? Are they competent? And do they have integrity? And basically these are people I want to go out and have coffee with or a beer. And, yes. you know, it's like when I'm working with them, I want to have that open communication. Yes. Um, and so you end up pulling, you know, I pull in like, uh, guys who are, you know, they're the one of my, um, the guys on our team is the entrepreneur. He used to be an entrepreneur and resident at one of these consulting companies. I have a, a friend who got an Emmy uh, for, um, you know, 360 uh, video for, uh, it was a project uh, capturing Everest. So he did a lot of the editing work. So very high end, um, you know, creatives. And as soon as you meet them, like you just, I take them out for coffee, you get to know them a little more. And it's like, hey, if I have a project come up over here, are you interested? Are you interested in consulting? So I'll usually pull them in in consulting at first and have them put in a few hours. And then if there are interesting projects for them, I just pull them in on wow. it. And so, so that's a lot of how I build my team, team out. I see, I um, see. Yeah, I you see. know, so it's a lot of just like, for me, it just feels like I'm doing work with my friends. And, well, that's right. It's, it's so important, right? If you're, if you're not having fun and you can't enjoy the people you hang around, oh my God, so mm -hmm. critical, right? I mean, that's one of the reasons my co-founder and I, Scott, uh, have, have done well here over the last several years at RiderFlex is same thing, right? I just, I just like, hang, I mean, he's a friend. Like we have beers. We talk about, I don't know, our wives, our families, whatever, you know, yeah. it's so critical. I, I, yeah, couldn't agree more. But, um, moving towards wrap up, let me uh, ask you a few things here. How do you find the time to do what you do when it comes to, your endurance stuff, right? An, an ultra athlete doing these major events, plus you're running your own business, which is, as you mentioned before, super hard. Mm -hmm. uh, plus you're married, which means you got to spend time with your wife. Plus you, you have two kids. Talk mm -hmm. to us about your time management a little bit and maybe a couple of tips. Yeah. Um, What's well, it's interesting because I, you know, I, I listen to a lot of audiobooks and podcasts and I've, I've funneled in a lot of the way that I do my time management based on, I call it essentialism or minimalist. Um, and it's how can I be as effective uh, as possible with the least amount of time, but not just efficient, but effective. So it's like, cause you can do a lot of stuff, but if you're not hitting the main things that are going to move you forward, mm. it's, you're just spinning your wheels. Um, so I, I've been watching a lot. Like I, I watch people, I, I talk to mentors, I read books. Some of the things that have really stuck is um, if I can have three to four days a week, where I have three 90 minute blocks, I can get more done in those four days than I could if I was working a 40, 50 hour sitting in an office job. Mm -hmm. um, so what I'll do is I'll, um, and I, I watched my, my old business partner would do this. He would block out three to four hours and that's when he would do his creative chunk work and he would schedule it like no one else, nothing got into that, that block of time. And so I, when I started doing that, you know, all of a sudden it's not that I was like twice as effective. I was like three or four times as effective during those blocks of time. Mm. Um, so that's one of the things I do. It's kind of block out three 90 minute chunks of time, three to four days a week. Mm -hmm. And, and then uh, first thing in the morning, um, you know, I, I do some journaling and then I write down the top 10 things I want to get done for the day. And then mm -hmm. I circle the top three and it's like, those are the must get done. And then the yep. rest of them, if I get to them, great. But if not, I'll just throw them on the next day. 
Um, and so that, you know, those two simple things like setting up those 90 minute blocks of time and then having a list of 10 items with the top three at the top of my list, like that's, you know, and if you do that every day, you, you're moving in the right direction and you're getting things done. Um, yeah. Good stuff. You know, Rob, um, like you said, simple little things. You'd be surprised at how many people don't do that. You'll be surprised how many professionals I'm professionals I meet every day and they just wake up and just wing it. You know, they just start winging it, shooting from the hip every day. It's like, you can't do that. You're not going to be as effective. Like you really, I, I know it sounds so simplistic to make a to-do list or a priority list for the day, but I am amazed at how many people don't do that. Uh, yeah. I really am. Um, uh, so yeah, great advice. And I do the same thing, by the way. And it's so easy. Most of us work remote these days. Just block out your calendar, right? Everybody uses things like Calendly or whatever you're using to let people see your availability. Just mm -hmm. block out times. Just block it out. If you don't block it out, you're not going to get the work done. And then you're going to get phone calls and you're going to check email 20 times a day. And then you're going to look at social media and blah, blah, blah. And the next thing you know, your day's over. So yeah, great advice. One the, and I think one of the things is um, consistency. Like I, I find um, in ultra sports, I've been doing ultras for 20 years and, and taking on some of the world's toughest races. And I'm, I'm not fast. I'm not built as a strong runner. And yet I can do these events. And, and the main reason like I, I attribute to my success is the team I have around me. So I have an amazing support team and then my consistency in the training. And the same thing goes, it's, it's amazing how parallel that is to business. Like if you have the right team around you, and you're consistent in your disciplines. Um, you just get, you just continue to raise up your game. And uh, you know, and I, I found this term lately. I call it um, like increase capacity or defy capacity. And I, I find in ultras, like if you take on a monster, you end up shifting up in your ability level. Like you grow years in like a two, three week period of time. Mm -hmm. And so all of a sudden, on the other end of you know, like when I, the big change for me was a solo race across America. So it was a okay. 12 day, 3,000 mile bike ride. And when I got done with that, it just opened up the doors to all these other events I could do. And I found that same thing with certain clients. Like all of a sudden you'll get this client offer and it's like, man, I've never done this before. This is totally outside of my comfort zone. And then you work with them for six months or you work with them for those first like three months. And then after that, you have this completely different skill set than you did six months ago. Yeah. So stepping into that uncertain space and just, you know, pouring your heart into it and being consistent and then on the other side of it, it's like, oh yeah, I just, um, you know, my capacity increased to something that I didn't even think was possible six mm -hmm. months ago. But you have to lean into those uncomfortable situations. Um, great, great advice. Can I ask you something about the endurance racing and the, and the, the money slash sponsorship? I'm, I'm always yeah. fascinated. I don't know. I'm totally ignorant to the whole process. But how do you, um, do you have to fund all this by yourself? Do you get sponsors? Like who pays for this stuff? Specifically, for example, I was listening to a podcast you did and uh, where you were swimming from uh, uh, Catalina Island, right? I think. Uh, and uh, and I, I was listening. So you had a kayaker and then there was a boat in front of you and this and that. I'm like, okay do you have to like pay for all that yourself to you get sponsored? Like, how does the, how does the finance part of it work real quick? I, I'm curious. Yeah. And, and that's a great question. And it's, um, it's funny because so many people that aren't involved in ultra sports are like, Oh, you guys are funded and sponsored. And you know, that's, you know, right. that's what you do for your job. And, and I was like, no, that's, that's where I, I spent about 20 to $30,000 of my personal <laughs> money. And, and it's like, that's why I'm working like odd jobs and taking on different projects on here to, to find yeah, a lot of passions that we do. 
Um, uh, I find that ultra sports, if you've been doing it for a while, you start to get sponsorships, which sponsorships basically mean you pay less or nothing for your, for certain gear items. For certain um, gear. Yeah. For gear. So like, uh, last year I, I got sponsored by Bichetta. So they, um, they sent me a frame. So I got to use one of their demo bikes. So instead of buying a $4,400 frame, I get that. Um, and I get to use and promote, but it's, but I find it's a lot of like, you get these sponsorship, but then you have to do a lot of promotion for them. And so you're almost like getting paid as their marketing person, um, but they're just giving your products up. But it's, it's a really good trade for a lot of us that are just trying to get out there and get to the start lines. Um, but at events like uh, Race Across America to have a crew. So I had like a 14 person crew, 12 days, flying them in all the hotels, the food. It's, it's about, ours was about $23,000. You pay and uh, you had to pay for all that. You paid for it yourself. Yeah. So I, uh, so I did a friends and family fund round before that. Um, mm-hmm. So I, the organization I was working with uh, 3000 miles to a cure. Um, so we ended up raising a little over $20,000 for brain cancer research. Okay. And the way they do it, um, you work with their group and they would let us raise the money before the event for our event cost. And then okay. a week out from it, any money raised after that went 100% to brain cancer research. I see. Um, so that was a, and that's a model I've been using since then. I was like, oh, that makes sense. So it's like, I'll spend the first, the year before it, like reaching out to people, seeing what sponsorships I can get to cover as much of the event cost as possible. Mm. And then during the event, 100% of whatever comes in goes to, to that organization and to that, um, that cause. I see. Has your wife ever been like, Hey, uh, I don't want, I don't, the 30,000, I want to go to something. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I mean, I think that's one of the things that drew us together was, um, I think our values are so similar. Uh, we have very different activity levels, but our core values on kind of giving and travel and education, like that's where we spend our money. Um, and that's where we spend a lot of our time. Um, Okay. Uh, so it's, yeah, it's just fun to have, I always call her kind of my journey pacer. Like we, we just go on these crazy adventures together and, um, you know, have been doing it for coming up on seven years of marriage. So. Is she, okay. Is she super in shape as well? Like, like you super, super active. She's super active. She, uh, she's more of the traveler. Um, so okay. we've done, uh, she talked me into doing, a the Camino. So we, we spent 30 days hiking 500 miles across Northern Spain Oh, um, we did that oh. with our one-year-old um, like three years ago. And uh, what? So hold, hold on, well, hold on, hold on. I'm having a visual. <laughs> I'm having a visual. You got a one-year-old like in a backpack on your back, and you're you're going, you're you doing. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. So that we actually got. Um, so we got sponsored by uh, Bob uh, Bob Stroller. So they they let us use one of their strollers, a demo oh. stroller, and then um, so I pushed him in the stroller, and then we had a, a carrier. So we carried him probably twenty percent of the time. And then I pushed them the rest of the way. <laughs> what? Okay. How many, what was your, what was your record for number of days without a shower? I'm just curious. Uh, we, we pretty much have the, um, the albergues you stay in every night. So I, I'm a big, I shower every day. So oh, I, I okay. might've gone, okay. okay. gone a day or two without, but not a whole Oh, lot. I didn't, I didn't know if this was like, you're like, you're hiking in the forest, like for like five days, no, no, no uh, utilities yeah. or anything. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool though. That's a great, that's a, that's a cool trip. Okay, great. Oh. Sounds like you guys have a wonderful uh, relationship and she is fully supportive of the endurance stuff you do, which is great. Yeah. And I think a lot of it is like, if you ask yourself what you want and you kind of have that vision and then it's like, whatever it takes to get there, I'm just going to build that path to it. And I, you know, I think that's what we do. It's like, Oh, I want to do like my wife's next big thing. She wants to go to all the national parks. Um, So we're looking at taking our two kids to all the national parks and you know, and over like this two year period. And right. so it's like, well, that's a huge commitment. 
It's like, yeah, but if it's something you want to do, like, how can you, is that something in balance with work and with other stuff? And so you're going to ask those questions. And if it fits in with your whole life plan, like, let's just find a way to make this happen. And, and then you just start, you know, moving towards the goal. My wife always says life is short, eat the cake. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, If you had two, uh, two last questions here, if you, if you could call your uh, 21 year old self coming out of college, knowing what you know now, based on all of your experiences, would you tell him anything? Would you tell that young Rob anything? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think it's the same thing. I, it'd be that same voice that I keep telling myself, like just lean in, take the risks, um, know that it's going to be hard, but it's, you know, I always kind of like that. It's, it's hard, but it's worth it. Um, you know, one of my buddies has a shirt that's like, a, it's going to get ugly, but it's going to get done. And uh, so I think just that recognition that um, just because things are hard doesn't mean you're on the wrong, wrong path. In fact, it's usually the right path. And um, so like, you know, with every opportunity, like take the risks. And, um, and I, one of the things I remember coming out of like high school and college, uh, a visual I used to, I trained myself with was the 70, 80 year old version of myself. When I come to a decision, am I going to regret doing it or not doing it more, regardless of how it turns out? Would, do I want to be the type of person that takes that or not? And there's certain things like, no, I don't want to do that. It's like, doesn't feel right. But there's others like, man, this could lead to such a great opportunity. Even if it turns poorly, I just, I, I would hate to not know where that road goes. Mm. And, and by the way, when you are 70 and you're having that thought, you can't go back. It's, it's not a movie. You can't press rewind and do it again. Right. Mm. <laughs> so you better take uh, take the leap while you have the chance. Last question, if you had to put your core purpose in life, your core purpose in life into a sentence, mm-hmm. and I wanted you to, let's separate your wife and children from that. Let's separate your wife and kids. And so if you had to define your, because that's kind of like the ultra core purpose over to the side. So let's move yeah. that over to the side. How would you define Rob's core purpose right now? Yeah, it's, I mean, that's one of those questions that goes kind of the core of who you are. And, and for me, like, it's, it's hard not to talk about my pur- purpose without talking about my faith. I understand. And so I, I look at, um, you know, I, I came to my faith when I was about 13 years old, and it was a complete shift in my psyche and, and opened up these doors. So a lot of that is, um, you know, I, I look at like, how can I have the most impact in the world? Um, and I, I work with a coach and I was telling her that, like, I, I just want to go into this next season and have impact. And she was like, you're, you're asking the wrong question. Like you're looking at the wrong, you're looking at the, the fruit of it versus where it stems from. And so I was, I was realizing like, oh yeah, if, if I focus on how can I build my relationship as closely as possible with my God and my spirituality, if I pour into that and pour into that understanding myself and how I work physically, mentally, and spiritually to the core of what's in there, I'll be the most effective. I'll be the most caring, the most loving, the most impactful. So focusing on the core of it versus focusing on the results. Um, and it's, and it's been amazing. Like once I shifted that, I was like, of course, that's the answer. And then you do that. And all of a sudden this fruit comes out of it because you're not aiming for the fruit. You're aiming at what is that core part of this that will trigger those changes in my life. Mm. Um, and I, I have these three words, kind of my defining principles that go forward and it's um, joyful, tenacious, and hopeful. And so it's like, I just want to be full of hope, joyful, and then tenacious, like just approaching anything that I come into contact with, like how can, what does completely overdoing this and taking this to that next level look like? 
And how can I do that? And with, with a smile on my face, um, you know, and, and with hope. Really good stuff, Rob. Really good stuff. I really appreciate you being on the Rider Flex podcast. Thank you. You, uh, you've shared some really awesome stuff. Uh, appreciate it. I, I just want to mention to, to the listeners one more time, luxvirtual.com, luxvirtual.com. Um, you can also look up Rob Deku on LinkedIn if you wish. Robert on LinkedIn, right, I think. Um, thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Hang on the line here just for a second. Oh, 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 o